Survivor 46 is here, and so is On Fire, the only official Survivor podcast, and we have a twist this season. The winner of Survivor 45, D. Vyadaris, will be joining us every week. We're going behind the scenes of the biggest moments, the how and the why things happen, and the strategy and analysis you can only get from someone like me, a Survivor winner. Listen to On Fire, the official Survivor podcast, wherever you get your podcast. 630 Chad Inside Sports with Reed Wilkins. Weekdays at 6 on 630 Chad. At center ice is Connor McDavid. He's got Darrell Walker and he's got some room down the sidelines. McDavid to Everly. Dishes off. What time? To the 30, 20, 10, 5. Score! Touchdown, Eskimos! Edmonton's home for breaking news on your favorite teams. This is Inside Sports with Reed Wilkins on the voice of your Edmonton Oilers and Eskimos. 6.30 Chad. Hey, hope you had a great weekend. And a lot to talk about tonight. My oh my, the Edmonton Oilers rolling along. A 5-0-1 in their last six. That convincing win over the Calgary Flames on Saturday night. And we continue to watch the standings near the top. Isn't that a nice change? And two of the Oilers division rivals in action tonight. Well, a few of their division rivals in action tonight, actually, but two of them up near the top of the Pacific Division. We'll get to that in a second. The Oilers took yesterday off. They had a very optional skate today, just a few guys on the ice. Most of the players were uh, doing some off-ice conditioning and watching a little video and things like that to get ready for the games coming up. Wednesday and Thursday against the Ducks and the Sharks. The next broadcast here on 6.30, Chad. 6.30 face-off show Wednesday and the game in Anaheim will start at 8. Had a really uh, good interview today with Matt Hendricks, a guy a lot of you have uh, respected since he became an Oiler three years ago, and he played career game number 500 on uh, Saturday night, and it was a nice win for the Oilers. We'll get to that. Some uh, football news today, and you'll hear from Mike Riley on this later on tonight. Henry Burris expected to retire tomorrow. What a great CFL career he has had, and he's going out as a winner from his final game, that huge upset of the Ottawa Red Blacks against the Calgary Stampeders. And how about this guy? At the age of 37, Kevin Glenn, signed by the Saskatchewan Rough Riders. His third time around with the Saskatchewan Rough Riders, I was double-checking today, and it is true, your Edmonton Eskimos, the only team in the CFL to have never had his rights. Now, a couple of teams have had his rights, but he didn't play for them, Toronto and Ottawa, but the Eskimos have never owned Kevin Glenn's rights. He's only 37. Still time to change that, but he is back with the Saskatchewan Rough Riders. I know there's still a lot of speculation that James Franklin may wind up as a Rough Rider. He would have to be traded there. Uh, we'll see. I know David Morley were debating about that today. We will see. Thanks a lot for tuning in tonight. It is 6.08. My name is Reed Wilkins. It's Inside Sports on 6.30. Ched. Glad you're coming along for the ride. Speaking of uh, football, between 7 and 8 tonight, in studio 
with Daryl Mookie Mitchell, former Eskimos receiver, two-time Great Cup champ. He went into the Canadian Football Hall of Fame in the fall, and uh, we'll be talking about Mookie with a lot of different stuff. He, he played against Henry Burris, obviously. He's been watching the NFL playoffs, and uh, he's you know involved in his, uh, his current job in Edmonton, also very important, so he'll update us on that as well. So I'm looking forward to having uh, Daryl Mookie Mitchell in studio. 780-496-0063. You can text 636-30. Uh, we got a texture identifying him or herself simply as H. Hey, Reed, two things off the top. Congratulations to Henry Burris. A fantastic career. He'll go into the Hall of Fame to finish it off. Second, and as I listened to Saturday's Oilers game, I began to believe it was a home game. Well, there are, uh, there are always a lot of fans in the uh, other team's building. And, uh, hey, I've... Uh, I've covered I've covered games where at Rexall Place where it sounded like the Flames might have been the home team. What was the one last year? Five nothing. The Flames' final visit to Rexall Place. They had a an eight was it eight one or eight two? The Flames won a game on a Saturday night a couple of years ago. So uh, uh, at least for now, the power has shifted back to the Oilers in that rivalry, going four and zero against the Flames this season. And hey, the Oilers don't play for a couple more days. So we can still revel in it a little bit, right? Here's all seven from Saturday night. Off the draw, wrist shot, score, and we've been waiting for it. Anton Slepeshev put it upstairs, top left corner. Here's another center pass, backdoor score. Mark Latestu makes it 2 nothing. Benoit Pouillot in over the line, right wing, Everly Wade shoots and scores. 3 nothing Edmonton, and that will do it for Chad Johnson. Brody couldn't make a play on it. Try subtle does to McDavid down the slot. Wrist shot, score. Connor McDavid, the captain, makes it 4 nothing. They get it in deep. A centering pass, Pouillot, back door, tapped in by Jordan Everly. 5 nothing. What a feed by Matt Benning. The second assist, and Everly's got two tonight. Everly from Clefbaum moved around. Nugent left side. One timer. Clefbaum score. 6-1 Edmonton. Clefbaum, a power play goal. He's stolen away by Larson. That has been empty for three minutes. Wrist shot score. Ryan Nugent Hopkins from center, set up by Everly, who will tie his career high with his fourth point of the night. So there it was, 7-3 on Saturday. I thought you'd enjoy that. Just just, just one more time here at all seven goals from uh, from Saturday night. Uh, the, the rare game that hasn't been close lately for the Edmonton Oilers. I mean, you all know about the ton of overtime games they've been playing. Uh, what are they up to? 13 of their last 24 now, I guess, have gone to overtime. So, uh, yeah, it's been pretty extreme in that regard. But they did not need it. Yeah, 13 of their last 24 have been tied after 60 minutes. Didn't need it to beat the Flames. So now what we watch for is, what? well, I mean, there's a lot of hockey left. But in the short term, what we watch for is what's going to happen at the top of the Pacific Division. We have the Ducks and the Jets just getting underway in Winnipeg. And we have the Sharks later on tonight in about an hour playing the Colorado Avalanche. Now, not to be a meanie, but I'm not optimistic that the Colorado Avalanche are going to help out the San Jose Sharks tonight, or going to help out the Edmonton Oilers tonight. Colorado is 13-29-2. And, and by the way, Tyson Berry not playing in that game as he can, continues to deal with a bit of an issue. And I want to talk about the uh, Tyson Berry Oiler possibilities later on tonight. But but I, I'm not optimistic that the Colorado Avalanche are going to help out the Edmonton Oilers. 
yeah, you know, the Oilers have had some rough seasons with some pretty low point totals in recent years. Colorado Avalanche are likely going to finish below any bad season for the Oilers or, or anybody else in recent years. They are having a tough, tough time. So the Ducks, 61 points in 49 games. The Oilers, 60 and 49. And San Jose, 60 and 47. You have to finish in the top three in your division to get an automatic playoff spot. The Oilers with a nine-point cushion on fourth place Calgary. So that's a nice cushion here going into the final third of the season. 780-496-0063. We have Jason on the line tonight. Hey, Jason. Hey, how you doing? Doing well. So I just wanted to chime in, by the way, before I comment any further, I just want to give my kudos to LB. I uh, honestly, after watching him last season, did not expect him to do as well as he did. And uh, I just wanted to say he did a great job against Calgary. Yeah, fair comment. He played a good he played a good game. I'm going to play a clip that McClellan gave today about uh, Brassois. I mean, sometimes it's it's the quantity of the saves. Also, the quantity of the saves is the most important. But sometimes when you make them, Brassois made all the saves in the first period, and Johnson couldn't, and that put the game in the Oilers, you know, firmly in their grasp right there. Yeah, I have to say, I, I I'll be honest. I was a doubting Thomas when uh, they said they announced LB to start the game, and I'm glad to be wrong. Uh, that being said, the next three games are Anaheim, San Jose, and Minnesota, three teams that have traditionally had Edmonton's number. And uh, I think it would be sort of more of a test for how the Oilers could do in the playoffs as to how much of these three games they're going to be able to win. So I just wanted to get your opinion on how many points do you think uh, Anaheim, or how many points the Oilers are going to get against those three teams upcoming. They'll have plenty of rest, so that won't be an excuse. So. Yeah, no, you're right. They're finally getting a little bit of a break here between games. Ah, I mean, I don't know if I'm going to make a, a solid prediction, but I'll tell you what, Jason, if they won, if they could win two out of these three, I think that would be a big positive. I mean, if they lost all three, it certainly it wouldn't crush their season. Um, but it would, it would, you know, make you think, okay, they still got some work to do. Here's the thing, Jason. I actually think they match up better against the Anaheim Ducks than they have in a long time like maybe the entire decade where they missed the playoffs and if well, you I look say, I don't know what they were thinking in Anaheim when they fired Bruce Boudreau all I know is that the Minnesota was I think he had a, I think he was like three days without a job so well Minnesota's enjoying it and quite frankly Dubnik might win the Vesna trophy I mean if he... he does that is just going to be an awesome thing I mean obviously I'm cheering for Edmonton but I've always liked Dubnik and I'm glad he not only bounced back but basically has become the top goaltender in the NHL He's he's right up there this year. I mean, I think him and Bobrovsky would be the front runners for the Vesna Trophy. I'll say this, Jason: of those three opponents, and, and I know they haven't beat Minnesota this year, but they they went to overtime both games. They lost one in overtime and lost in a shootout. Minnesota's really good. The Sharks, to me, seem to be the toughest opponent out of those three for the Oilers because they play with a pace that the Oilers haven't quite been able to handle. Right when we've seen the two games this year. And an interesting comment when you when you when you consider that the their pace wasn't good enough to win the cup against uh, Pittsburgh. That's a that's a good point. That's a good point. <laughs> but I, I I thought that they I think in the two games we've seen San Jose against Edmonton this year, they've been able to force the action a lot more than the Oilers have. You know, I think they have some guys who have played together a long time, which never hurts when you're trying to work the puck around. They've been very good on the power play in the two games against the Oilers, and. You know, the Oilers are a much more well-rounded team than they have been in the past. 
Um, but they haven't quite been able to match teams that have really come out with a lot of jump, like the two games against Columbus and the two previous games in San Jose. And I know they got a point against the Sharks before Christmas. That was pretty much a Talbot point because he held them in the game. So I'm optimistic against Anaheim. They're going in there with a little bit of rest. San Jose is going to be tougher. And then, you know, the game against Minnesota is still still a week away. Which of those three were you the most? Um, Well, I think they had the best chance against Anaheim. I really think um, my thoughts are they're going to come out with two points out of those six, but I hope I'm wrong again. Um, One last thing before I let you go. Uh, No team that I know of has gone deep into playoffs without a pretty good uh, face-off percentage because you're losing a whole bunch of zone time and possession time if you don't have the face-off. If you're not not winning your share of the face-offs, and the owners are still 29th or 30th, have you heard any comments from, like, I haven't heard anything about specifically what they're doing. I mean, to me, Ryan Nugent Hopkins is a write-off because if he hasn't figured out how to win a face-off by now, he never will. Um, do you have any idea, in, insights into that? I'll hang up and let you, uh, let you chime in on that. Uh, do you mean in terms of guys are going to acquire? Or okay, well, he's gone. I, I, I think that, where are they now? Well, you know what? They've fallen the last in the face-off circle. Here's the thing. They Latestu has dropped a little bit. Leon was hot earlier in the season. He's fallen off. The face-offs do concern me. I think that's a valid point. If they were going to add somebody at the deadline, uh, I mean, I don't know. We've talked about Martin Hansel a little bit. Uh, he'd be an appealing guy to me. He's very, he's very good in the face-off circle. I think it does hurt them. I, I think they're going to probably rely on Leon getting a little bit better. I would McDavid is getting better. I, I a short term solution though. I don't know. I mean, I, I think if Shirelli is going to add somebody before the deadline, quite frankly, I, I think it would might be a depth winger who could score a little bit more reliable or reliably than say a Pouliot and play a little bit more of a heavier. Uh, consistent checking game. That that's probably where I I would lean towards adding something up front if you were going to do that, uh, as as opposed to focusing solely on a face off center. But you're absolutely bang on as identifying it as a bit of a not a bit as a lingering weakness for the team. We got uh, Jared Seinfeld up next. We got to take a quick timeout at six nineteen inside sports on six thirty. Chad. This is Cam Talbot from your Edmonton Oilers, and you're listening to Inside Sports with Reed Wilkins on Oilers Radio, 630 Chad. Matt Hendricks and Mike Riley, two of your favorites still to come in the first hour of Inside Sports. Thank you so much for tuning in tonight. Before I get to the phone line, quick update on the scoreboard. We have the Leafs leading the Flames 1-0 after the first period. Marner with his 11th. Capitals 3-1 over Carolina in the second period. Also in the second, Rangers 1, Kings nothing. The Ducks and the Jets, quick start there. The game is not even six minutes old, and it's already 2-1 for Anaheim. Later on tonight, Sharks and Avalanche and the Panthers will play the Coyotes. You can text 630-630. Jeremy from Glendon, one of our regulars, he says, Hey, Reed, the Oilers are having good luck, and me too. Last Monday, I won a signed McDavid jersey from the Rogers Place app contest, contest during the second intermission then ran into Wayne Gretzky and got him to sign my jersey. And this weekend, I want to sign Milan Lucic framed picture. Good week for this guy. Right on, Jerry. Happy to hear uh, things are going well. 
And uh, this texter says, I love that Brassois got his first win, but I'm concerned about his technique moving forward. Seems to slide out of position often when moving side to side. Or am I just an overanalyzing goalie dad? Yeah, I know we had a call about that on the weekend too after the game. And fair enough, I think there was a little bit of that. Uh, Certainly that was a problem for Jonas Gustafsson. I, I think when goaltenders are locked in, they're very quiet in the net and they swallow a lot of pucks because they're steady and in place. And I think that's one of Cam Talbot's strengths. And quite frankly, he's probably one of the better goalies in the league at reading the play and and swallowing up pucks and, and making sure he's in the right spot. So this is probably a good thing that I'm saying this. You're probably a little spoiled by watching Talbot every night because he's been so good in that regard. In terms of LB, he got the win. He kept the pucks out, so I'm not going to pick apart his performance too much, but I think we'll keep watching the positioning as we go along. Jared Seinfeld on the road, on the on the phone. Sorry. Hey, Jared. I mean, you were mentioning about Oilers not uh, matching up good against San Jose, and I've seen Brett Burns play quite a few times on TV this year, and I got to honestly say, I think he's got to be a uh, a candidate for like the MV, the Hart Trophy MVP, and I think that you have guys like Connor McDavid and Sidney Crosby, but I have to think that he is possibly the most rare or kind of dynamic player in the NHL because there's not, there's nobody like him, and I think that. If San Jose can make a trade to add like a fairly big piece, I don't know what their salary cap is. I think they could make it all the way to the Stanley Cup. And you think about the Oilers possibly adding an offensive defenseman. But with Brett Burns, they, they build their system around him a little bit. Mm-hmm. And I don't know if that would work for the, for the Oilers. And it's just like when the Oilers had Paul Coffey back in 1987. A lot of the way they played was built around his style and then when he left in 1987 I felt they were a very different team they weren't as dangerous or explosive offensively but I do think that to add an offensive defenseman for the Oilers like uh, you were talking you were going to talk about Tyson Berry I don't know if that's going to be a good fit because the Oilers play such a tight structured game and as soon as you add that element all of a sudden everybody gets pulled out of position but with Brett Burns because of that, or like a Paul Coffey type, he basically can screw up a system because he never is where he is supposed to be. And because of the gambling or unpredictable plays he makes, teams don't know how to react to him. I think, well, I think you make a great point about Burns. Like he's, he's in a very unique category, right? I mean, he's almost like we, we have that clip that we run before our face-off show where Bob says from the summer, there is only one Milan Lucic. You know what I mean? Like, and I think Burns is in that category where there are other offensive defensemen, but they're not quite exactly like him. And I also think, Jared, if you want to talk about the Hart Trophy, and somebody asked Rob and I this after the game on Saturday night, if McDavid could win the Hart over Crosby, I think right now the three finalists would probably be McDavid, Crosby, and Burns. Because you're right, because Burns does so much in all areas of the ice to help the Sharks. And I mean, he's, plus he's fifth in the league. It's not like he's 20th in the league in scoring, which would be good enough for a defense. No, he could he's score fifth. 40 goals he's if he gets hot. You're right. He might get 30 goals this year. Like, yeah, he could even get more. But I think because of the fact that he was a forward, he's a little bit different than Eric Carlson. He's more of a rover, and he plays his defense through skating forward. 
So he's always kind of anticipating on the offensive side of the puck where Eric Carlson is kind of, he has to make that transition from skating backwards to forward. So because of his background and what he's playing forward, he's, he's very, very unique. I was kind of skeptical of him a little bit, but I mean, this year he's, he's, he's incredible. When he's, when he's leading San Jose in goals, he's leading them in points, he's leading them, in, he's having an incredible year. But I do consider him quite more dangerous than an Eric Carlson, even though as another great defenseman in the sense that he, he's willing, he can get himself out of position and he's a good enough scared that he can get back. Right. That's the big thing, the big difference in his game now. He has that confidence that if he screws up, he can get back into the play. And a lot of offensive, like I, to me, there's only two true offensive defensemen in the NHL, Eric Carlson and himself, but there's not a lot. And I haven't seen Tyson Berry a lot. But when are you going to be talking about Tyson Berry? Well, just that you know that he that Colorado is doing poorly. Mm-hmm. Uh, he's he's not playing tonight. I mean, I think I saw at first he was a healthy scratch, but I think he's a little nicked up. Um, here's the thing, and a, a couple people have texted in, and and this is a good question for Oilers fans because clearly the team is better. They should make the playoffs. I'm not counting chickens, but they're on pace to. Do the Oilers need to go out and do something drastic this year or this season, or can it wait till the summer? Because it might be an easier deal to make in the summer if you know when there's a team down in the dumps and everybody knows where they're drafting. You know what I mean? Like, okay, if if Colorado right now said they might take Pouliot and something for Barry, you'd probably have to do that because of the salary situation. Yeah, but if they if 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 Colorado is sitting there asking for the first and Eberly right now, and I don't know if they are, I'm just hypothesizing. Do you need to rush into that deal before the trade deadline? Probably not. Because I I still think the only deal they would have to make is the backup goalie, and if Brassois can fill that bill for seven or eight more games, then that problem is resolved. But I think there was a lot of pressure on that last game because if he would have stunk out the joint. I think Shirley would have been making a trade for a goalie, and I think that's why he put him in there. And, and for Brassois, like if he if he would have had a bad game and they trade for a goalie, he may never see the NHL with the Oilers because if the guy the guy they get has like the two years left on his contract or a year, he's kind of missed his his boat. He's missed his ship, so he he has to kind of play now, or he may not get a chance with the Oilers if they pick somebody else up. Well, Brassois bought himself a couple more starts, and I think some patience with the fan base, which is also important. Jared, thanks for calling. Okay, have a good night, Reed. All right, seven eight zero four nine six zero zero six three. We got a break for the news, traffic, and weather. A couple comments from Todd McClellan and Matt Hendricks. All ahead. This is Mark Letestu from your Edmonton Oilers, and you're listening to Inside Sports with Reed Wilkins on Oilers Radio six thirty. Chet. Well, good to have you tuning in tonight. Going to hear my interview with Matt Hendricks from earlier today. Uh, didn't uh, well talked about hockey, but kind of from a different angle as in terms of the in terms of the X's and O's and the the playoff race and all that kind of stuff. Matt's always a very interesting guy to talk to. Mookie Mitchell as well tonight, and uh, you'll hear some comments from Mike Riley on Henry Burris, who is expected to retire tomorrow after a long and uh, great. I think we can call it great. CFL career. A guy who never played for a team that was very popular in Edmonton, though a lot of Eskimos fans were pulling for him a couple of months ago <laughs> when he won the Grey Cup against Calgary because uh, 
If you're new to Edmonton, I'm going to tell you this. Like, if you just moved to Edmonton in the last hour, <laughs> Edmonton fans cheer against Calgary teams. <laughs> Anybody who's lived in Edmonton longer than an hour would already know that. Like, probably Jason, who's in lo- on line one. Hi, Jason. <laughs> hey, Reed, how are you? <laughs> I'm doing great, buddy. What's going on? Good. Uh, just, I guess I'll start this comment by, there's no guarantee the Oilers are going to make the playoffs, obviously. Still got a long ways to go, but would you agree or disagree that the road through the West right now for the Oilers is through San Jose, Anaheim, Minnesota? Uh, probably yes. Yeah, they they stacked up fairly well against the rest of the West. Um, so I guess what I'm saying is is the West pretty wide open right now? Well, I still wouldn't count out Chicago, by the way. Um, Hang on, I lost my standings page. I just want to double check the point total. Here, here's the thing. I, I th- and again, we're not we're not, we're not being cocky here because we know a lot can go wrong, right? But they're in a good position. I think San Jose would be a very tough opponent for the Oilers. Anaheim would still be difficult, though. I'd be more optimistic if the Oilers wound up playing a wild card team. I, I would f- I would favor them against Calgary. I would actually favor the Oilers against St. Louis, believe it or not. Uh, certainly against Vancouver, if Vancouver got in. I think if it got to a, a West Final situation, I still think Chicago would be very difficult for the Oilers, and they're ahead of the Oilers in the standings. Yeah, I mean, I would, yeah, I, agree. I would probably put the Oilers down, if I did power rankings, I would probably put them as the fourth or, f- I, I well... I got to give Anna. I'd probably put them even with Anaheim and behind Minnesota, Chicago, and San Jose. Okay, I agree. So, and but they they stack up decent against Chicago. They proved that they can play against Chicago if all goes right. Even though Chicago is a really good team. Uh, but my my thoughts is if you can make a move that's going to make your team better and perhaps not just go into the playoffs and you know. And, and, Somehow make it six games, and maybe it goes one way or another, and you you know you get bounced in the first round, or you're lucky enough to get past the first round into a second round. How much more beneficial is that going into next year if you make the right moves to get yourself poised to perhaps make a longer run rather than just a two week playoff burst? Like you're like you're saying, just the value of experience and and going yeah. through those battles. Well, yeah, it'd be- like if you could. If, Sorry. No, go ahead. If you can make a move that's going to make your team better, because right now your Oilers are pretty top-heavy on the top line. The second line right now isn't, like, it's been disappointing for the year. Their third line and fourth line, the, the, the bottom six forwards for the Oilers have been, they've been adequate. They've done, they've done their job. Their goaltending has been very, very good. Yep. Their defense has been far better than it has been for the last handful of years. So if you can make the right tweak to the lineup by maybe bringing in some more scoring, maybe adding another defenseman that can you know, slot your, your guys just a little bit better, maybe you are poised to make more than just a one-and-done playoff run. Maybe you go to the second round, maybe you get lightning in the bottle, you go three rounds. Who knows? they got to get there first, obviously. But if they can make the right move this year, how much more beneficial is it going to be for the years upcoming? Because the Oilers are looks like they're hopefully turning the corner, right? For well, I think they have turned the corner. Yeah, I think they're on the right but, street. Here's the here's the thing: if you add, let's just throw out some names that'll likely be rentals. 
Aginla, Doan, Verbata, Hansel, uh, guys like that. That might help you get deeper into the playoffs, but those guys likely aren't sticking around. Maybe Hansel because he's 29. You'd have to clear up some space a little bit probably. If, if And if let's go back to Barry, and I know some people on the text line are mad that we're talking about Barry. If you add Barry, he's here long term. So then that might be a more beneficial trade because he can play the right side. He doesn't have to be your top defensive defenseman because you have Larson, right? Yeah. And you're going to have Benning likely long-term who looks like he can maybe do a little bit of everything. So now I, I am of the mindset, though, where I wouldn't do a sell-the-farm type trade to get Barry. Now, Pouliot for Barry, I'd seriously think about. You might have to give up something else if Colorado was willing to take that money and that player. Why would they, though? I know, probably because they're in last place. That's the only reason they might. <laughs> but, yeah, I mean, if they if they're asked, what I mean, if they want a defenseman, I, I wouldn't trade Clefbaum at this point. I know people were talking about that earlier. Would you trade Davidson for Barry? Okay, probably, but you'd still have to give up something else. And the Oilers don't yeah. have a second round pick this year. Well, true enough. Is this maybe the is this the year you trade the first round pick? Well, as it sits right now, you're picking around the 20th pick anyway, so you're going to get a player. If you're going to draft a player, that player is not going to make any impact for others in three years, four years, maybe. Right. Most likely, so, yes. Maybe, maybe it is worth it. If if they're in the right position, come trade deadline to you know, make a big trade, a bull trade, and, and bring in a player that's really going to push you over the hump. Yeah. Because right now, you know, that, that this run already, through the way that it was played this year, is already done huge amounts of good for this group uh, going into the rest of the year and into the playoffs if they can make it. It's only going to make it better for next year, you know, in the year after that. See, I, do- I, I say if you're, in, if you're in a good position come trade deadline, if they make a bold, a big move, I don't want to use bold move, but if you, make a, you right. make a big move and you bring in the right piece, I'm all for it. Yeah, fair enough. I, I I think though he'll probably try to add a depth winger for sure. On, on defense, I, I'm not so sure if he would. I don't know, because Nurse is going to come back, so that's going to help. And I'm not saying he's a high end offensive guy, but that's going to help you keep the puck out of your own end. I, I I still think that I mean if they could get a rental depth winger, I still think that would help. And maybe that's enough for this year. I know people don't want you can't always wait. But that's that's how I would lean if I had to predict what he's going to do. Yeah, 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 you can't always wait. And that's what I'm saying. Maybe this year is the, you know, it's worth a shot because, in my mind, the West is pretty wide open. The Oilers have competed very well against certain teams. The record against the West is very good. It's outstanding. You know? Yeah. So do you, you know, maybe maybe you do push the button and you make that trade and you get yourself into a better position. You never know what happens. If you get past the first round, if you know, fingers crossed, you never know what can happen, right? Well, and that's what makes this year a lot more interesting because a year ago, uh, a, lo- a lot of fans were saying trade anybody except McDavid. And, yeah. and now there's a lot of people on different points of the scale, whereas no, 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 just let the trade play out. And some people who are willing to, you know, we're talking about legitimately improving the team as opposed to selling off parts and picking as high as you can. So that's nice. Yeah. Now, you you watch you watch these guys play. They, they 
legitimately they care about each other and they're 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 a team for once for the first time in a very very long time both guys that's a team that plays up there and they it's, it's fun to watch it's great it's it's uh so it makes you forget about all the lean years for uh pretty quick so. yeah jason always good to talk to you buddy thanks all right, that's Jason at 780-496-0063. Still one nothing. Toronto leading Calgary five minutes into the second period. Okay, I want to get to some of the Todd McClellan stuff here. He was asked about Brassois' performance on the weekend. This is from after practice today. He had a tremendous game. Um, you know, Realistically, looking back at that game now, and uh, maybe it's because it... It went our way real well early, and we got out to a comfortable lead. We got sloppy, and we gave up a number of scoring chances where uh, where he had to come up big. So he should feel really confident in himself, first of all. Um, secondly, the team should feel better about it, and that includes the staff. All right. Also want to get to uh, – I found this an interesting comment. I, I asked Todd McClellan, does a coach – because I think as fans, you reached a point on Saturday where you felt comfortable, you felt good – I, I said, do coaches ever feel comfortable in a convincing win? You know, I bet you there's a lot of coaches that leave a 7-3 victory, walk into the locker room, and are, are obviously very happy that they got the win. Uh, but the words that come out of the, their mouths are they, you know, those those games are difficult because you're asking guys to, to maintain good habits and... and um, and a good mindset, and odds are they're not blocking too many shots. Um, you know, maybe they're trying to do a little bit more than they normally would. They're probably cheating on the offensive side and giving up a little bit more. Uh, power play can get overly cute and give up a shorthanded goal. Um, you know, so sometimes those games are nice when you can breathe a little bit and, and you sit back and you're not. Um, you know, chewing on your fingernails, but uh, it can also lead to a little bit of frustration and it can lead to bad habits. So we've got to, uh, you know, we'll actually have to fix some things after that, that Calgary game, then, uh, then just move on. All right. And McClellan also commented on, uh, on handling a playoff race if he coaches differently. And I think this is a great clip because to a lot of us, a lot of you, this feels different, right? I mean, it's, we're not talking about, lottery odds we're not talking about changing half the roster we're talking about tweaking the roster definitely improving the roster we're talking about staying in the race and but McClellan wants this to be normal he he wants every year to feel like this for not just the fans but for his players and his staff so he was asked about handling a playoff race uh, steady on the rudder um, we're not you know, there there isn't a parade planned in our locker room. There uh, there isn't anything that changes on a day to day basis. We come in, we evaluate, uh, we present to the players, we ask them to uh, to continue to do things, we ask them to change things. Uh, the goals don't change. It's it's about the two points that are in front of us, and uh, if we can keep it that way and not get too high or get too low when uh, when things go good or bad, then we'll be okay. But um, we're still a growth team. I've said that all along, and uh, we're learning lessons as we go. A lot of them have been positive lately, but um, you know there it can always change quickly, and um, and you can get into the crap real fast. So steady on the rudder. I think that should be the Oilers' slogan for the rest of the season, steady on the rudder. And the the earlier caller referenced it. The next three games are going to be tough. It's a road-heavy schedule in February. It could be bumpy like November was. 
but steady on the rudder and keep harvesting points. Another phrase I liked from earlier this season that Peter Shirelli used. And I think the Oilers are in a better position and have a better mentality to be steady on the rudder. And you know what? If they go 0-3 against Anaheim, San Jose, and Minnesota, it's not a disaster. If anything, I think it's a lesson. Okay, here's here's how some teams ahead of us in the standings are playing. Are we willing to commit to get there? We have Dave on the phone line. Sorry, is this Dave? Yeah. Yeah, go ahead, Dave. Yeah, um, I just want to comment uh, on uh, Jersey has got a player uh, from Alberta, um, Carl Stallery. Yep. And I watched him closely on the Western trip because he's from Camrose and I am from Camrose. Didn't he play for the Kodiaks a while ago? He did, and then he went to U.S. college and... uh, you know, he's not a kid. He's 29 years old. But, man, yeah. I watched him, especially in the Calgary game. He was on their power play, and he had a good shot, and he, he passes well. And I don't know, like, he's he's a player I would like to see the Oilers uh, pick up and take a chance on. Yeah, well, he'd uh, probably be uh, – he's only playing – he's only played six games this season, three assists. Ah, uh, no. Uh, he was – I think that was his tw- – oh, you're right, this season. I think it was his 12th uh, – NHL I think he's yeah. I think he's up to nineteen or twenty games now. I'm just he's looking, not just, a kid. He's 20, no, he's twenty nine. You're right, and he's he's had to fight. And he, I'll say this, Dave. I, I do you not think that Shirelli has shown that he likes the guys who are competitive and have had to fight for a spot in the NHL, whether it's acquiring Latestu, signing Benning, signing uh, Kajula bringing in Cassian after he went through a tough time. Do you not think that Shirelli has a little bit of a soft spot for the guys who he really thinks are going to appreciate the opportunity? Yeah, I think that's a good point. You know, and I don't know, just because he, I was interested in him, I isolated, I watched him uh, closely in both games, and and uh, I don't know, I was impressed. Like he, uh, he, he played well both on the power play and defensively. He even skated, uh, he, he caught uh, McDavid on a on a partial break uh, in Edmonton as well. So no, he 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 can fly. He was the best skater on the ice in the AJ when uh, when I used to watch him here in Camrose. But, right. Uh, well, and when I covered the AJ, Camrose was one of the best teams every year. Uh, I don't know if they're still doing that well. I think Brooks is kind of the best team in the South now, aren't they? I'll tell you this. Well, I guess. I'll tell you this, Stollery, yeah, he's 29. He is a UFA in the summer. Who knows? Maybe that's a depth signing as they move along. Hey, thanks for calling, Dave. All right. Thanks, bud. All right. We got to take a quick timeout. We got Bill up next on the phone line. Mookie Mitchell's coming in after seven. Fun show tonight. Thanks for tuning in. We're coming right back. This is Oscar Clef from, from your Edmonton Oilers, and you're listening to the Inside Sports with Reed Wilkins on Oilers Radio 630 Shad. Now 2-1 Toronto leading the Flames. Capitals up 4-1 on the Hurricanes after two. The uh, Calgary game in the second period after two. Rangers two, Kings one. Ducks lead the Jets 2-1 after one. Still to come tonight, the Sharks play the Avalanche and the Panthers play the Coyotes. Your scoreboard is for Crystal Glass. For all your glass needs, visit crystalglass.ca. Some text to 630-630. And guys, I'm getting a lot tonight, so if I don't get to yours, uh, don't take it personally. Gord says, hello, Reed. Before anything else, the Oilers need a solid backup. What happens if Talbot pulls a groin or something? All this talk about playoffs is out the window. Talbot should be considered for the Vesna. That is from uh, Gord. Don't know if he'll be in the top three for the Vesna, but it's nice that we can bring it up, and, uh, you know, it's within the realm of possibility. All right. 
Bill is on line two, seven eight zero four nine six zero zero six three. Hello, Bill. Hey, Reed. Hi. I uh, hope you're doing well. I wanted to ask you. I I, I was talking to my uh, son. I was watching the game, and he was busy studying. And I said uh, he came down for a little bit, and I said, you know, Larson and uh, and Kachuk had something going. And um, right after I said that, uh, they had show, they they showed a close up, and between Brossois and Larson, go skating Kachuk. And just as he did, just as he got near Larson. He threw out his elbow and just missed his face. Mm-hmm. Did you happen to catch that? Did anybody else happen to bring that up at all? I- no, I don't remember that. Obviously, I saw the stuff with Dreisaitl and McDavid. And yeah, and I, this was I, before that. Okay, I didn't see that. Yeah. I think Stoffer put it best. Oilers fans are going to hate Matthew Kachuk for the next 12 to 15 years. Oh, absolutely. Well, hopefully it'll be less than that. But uh, well, <laughs> we'll, uh, we'll see. I'm hoping maybe he gets traded somewhere else. Uh, but yeah, it, and it wasn't that he just skated by with his arm, with uh, with his elbow in the air. It literally flew towards his face as he got there. Like he, he purposely made the muscle twitch to get him in the face. Yeah. So, well, uh, yeah, I'm. I'm Hoping a lesson is learned. Or uh, I think he's. Yeah, I think probably a bit of a cheap player. I do think the Oilers are better equipped to deal with that. And Larson, quite yeah. frankly, even though he doesn't fight, uh, I think he has a bit of a mean streak. And hopefully, he takes care of that. Uh, Larson can be a little cheeky himself out there, so I don't mind that. Yep. Yeah, and I'm happy with that. And I think that Davidson should have uh, should have stepped up and. and Done the Kachuk, what he said he wanted to do the Kachuk. So. Well, you're right. He kind of hyped it up a bit last weekend, didn't he? <laughs> yeah, he did, and then he let it be. Yeah. So, uh, which I think may have been what Kachuk was running around for. Awesome. Thank you. I know you've got a show to get to. Have a good night. Okay. Thanks, Bill. Seven eight zero four nine six zero zero six three. Before we break for the news here, I want to get to. Uh, I had a good chat with Matt Hendricks today. Here it is. Well, Matt, first of all, congratulations on, on 500. Really cool accomplishment. And maybe felt even better wound up being a win, eh? Yeah, Reed, it was a, it was a great night, to, to tell you the truth. Um, teammates were all excited for me, and uh, to have that big win, Battle of Alberta, Saturday night uh, on the road, everything kind of fell in place. It was, it was a heck of a night, great memory. You know, Rob Brown and I, when we do the second intermission on the broadcast, we kind of have a running joke. Well, it's tied after two periods. Yeah. That, that, that one felt a little... Did you guys know what to do with that much of a lead? Yeah, it, uh, it was a little bit different than most of the games we've been playing lately, that's for sure. But uh, for some reason, our offense was really clicking, and LB made some great saves. You know, that game could have been a lot different and a lot closer in score, but he uh, he played great, so I'm really happy for him. Congratulations and for his first big... I'm not sure if it was his first big win, but first big win of the year for him yeah uh you know the, the, i noticed the fans connected with you pretty quick because of your, your work ethic and and i think your, your journey to to and through the nhl and you also do the the hendrix heroes with members of the, of the military uh some home games just can you just tell me about that and and just what it's like for you to meet those people even if it is brief well my wife kim and i uh Back in, I think it would have been about 2008, 2009, we're kind of looking for kind of an avenue to go down in terms of doing some charity work, getting involved in the community and such. And we found a great program out of uh, Minnesota called Defending the Blue Line, and it's a military charity, and more so for the kids of military parents, helping them uh, pay for hockey schools, go to games, um, all the all the prices and the costs that go along with hockey. So we got involved with that, and you know, Hendricks Heroes came along here in Edmonton, and. It's just our way of saying thanks, you know, for the service that the men and women give. And it's not just me either. It's every guy in our locker room is very grateful and very thankful for everything they do. 
So what do you try to say to those men and women when you meet them? It's uh, it's mostly just you know thank yous and uh, showing appreciation and hoping that they have a good night and hoping that the Oilers give them a good show. So um, you know it's it's just nice to meet them and, and to be able to have them out here at the new the new arena and, and show them a good time. All right, so you have uh, boy-girl twins, and they're five now? Yep. So are they a uh, better understanding now of what Dad does for a living or, you yeah. know, what you're doing when you're on TV and all that kind of stuff? Yeah, you know, actually, when they're a little younger, it, it might have been a little bit easier. Now they're, my daughter especially gets a little a little envious when, when hockey comes up because she knows i got to go and leave and go on the road and don't get to pick them up from school and such. So she's kind of turning against it a little bit, but my son, uh, he's a big fan, and he loves playing, so... Um, just I'm like a big teammate to him right now. Are, are they starting to understand the standings in the playoff race here? <laughs> yeah, a little bit. You know, my son and I were talking about how our team keeps winning and how good Connor is and <laughs> all those fun things. But, yeah, they're getting it a little bit. Matt Hendricks, and he was thrilled that career game number 500 resulted in a convincing win for the Edmonton Oilers. There's more on Matt, by the way, on the Oilers page on 630Ched.com. And don't forget, our next Oilers game is on Wednesday. They're in Anaheim. The face-off show will be at 630. The puck is going to drop at uh, 8 o'clock. Uh, you can text 630-630. The phone number is 780-496-0063. I'm going to get to some uh, Mike Riley comments on Henry Burris's uh, impending retirement announcement. Uh, Burris does have a news conference tomorrow, and it's, it's expected he is going to hang him up. Also today, Kevin Glenn signed by the Saskatchewan Rough Riders. It's going to be his third time with the Riders. Milos Raonic, the Canadian, is the highest remaining seed in the men's draw at the Australian Open. Rafael Nadal, his opponent, the number nine seed in the quarterfinals tomorrow. Oh, and Tiger Woods going to be in a tournament starting Thursday. First one in almost a year and a half. Inside Sports on 630 Chad. Special guest in the next hour of the show, former Eskimo Mookie Mitchell standing by. Six thirty, Chad. Inside sports with Reed Wilkins, weekdays at six on Six Thirty, Chad.